Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, October the 19th, 2023. Earlier today, an interesting conversation uh, with Annabelle Gerwich. Many of you will be familiar with her. She's a best-selling writer and Hollywood actress. And she was writing about her experience of taking in a, a homeless couple in Los Angeles. Uh, we had a, a really interesting conversation. Uh, as I said, she's a very well-known figure in the entertainment business with her own um, Wikipedia page and best-selling book called uh, You're Leaving When? Adventures in Downward Mobility, best-selling New York Times book. And her essay... Uh, that we discussed uh, was taken from it. The essay was part of a, a new book called Going for Broke, Living on the Edge in the World's Richest Country. It's put together by the uh, Economic uh, Hardship Reporting Project, a, a very uh, a very important group that was founded by Barbara Ehrenreich. And we're featuring another essay in this coming from a rather different direction, not so much like um, uh, Annabelle Gerwich and more uh, a feature of the, the world that is unequal. Uh, my guest today is Andrea Dobbins-Wagner, and she has a really interesting piece in uh, the, the book uh, called, as I said, Going for Broke, Living on the Edge in the World's Richest Country. In her experience as a, a disabled person trying to survive in the American workforce, uh, Andrea is joining us from Tuscaloosa in Alabama. Andrea, congratulations on, on your essay in the book. I found it very, uh, very impressive, a very memorable essay on your life. Uh, introduce us to you. T tell me a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Andrew, for that warm welcome and introduction. Well, I as he said, I'm Andrea Dobons Wagner. I am a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. I'm a disability rights advocate. I'm a doctoral student at the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, and I'm a storyteller and jumped at the opportunity to tell my story about living with an invisible disability. So tell me what that story is. It's featured um, in uh, in the book. Uh, it's told uh, to you, or I'm not sure you wrote it. It's in in, in association with Deborah Jian Lee, another writer. But w what's the story in the book, Andrew? Well, there are millions of people in this country who identify as disabled, but a bulk of them have visible disabilities. Mine, however, is invisible. And I talked about in the essay entitled, My Disability is My Superpower. If only employers would see that way, see it that way, the plight of finding meaningful employment when you are disabled, specifically visually impaired, and the way standard interview practices automatically put you at a disadvantage if you have not disclosed that information. And so it just talks about the, my journey thus far, seeking employment and I'm um, not sure if I mentioned having employment in said essay while 
being legally blind. The book is called, and, and it's made up of many different essays, Going for Broke, Living on the Edge in the World's Richest Country. Um, it's edited by uh, Alyssa Quart, uh, and, uh, who's actually been on my show before. Her book is called Bootstrap, Libering, Liberating Ourselves from the American Dream. She's also in charge of the, Ameri uh, of the Economic Hardship Reporting Project. What do you think, Andrea, of this idea of the American dream? Is it something that's within the grasp of everyone or is it a delusion? I would say that the American dream for many people is a nightmare. And it is definitely not one size fits all. I know there's a mantra of if you work hard, you'll be able to secure like financial stability and financial certainty. Well, um, a bachelor's secured, master's secured, doctorate in progress, and that hasn't been the case. I have no criminal background. And yeah, finding employment has been quite an interesting journey. And I know while this essay focuses on my story, I'm not an anomaly. So I would definitely say that the American dream for many people like myself is not a dream, it's a nightmare. What does that mean, a nightmare? Describe what this nightmare actually is. Well, for me, it means that I know, regardless of how much education I acquire or certifications or even on-the-job training and experience, the fact of the matter is when I get to the interview or um, secure said employment, I'm still going to be legally blind. It's permanent. It's irreversible. There is no surgery or no magic eye drop or magic pair of glasses that would automatically give me 2020. This is something I'm going to have to live with. And while there are laws in place, they're just laws. There aren't many people or any stakeholders who are effectively checking you know, the boxes to see if these employers, are they actually hiring people with disabilities? Are they, do they have them in leadership? We aren't often the are in place to make decisions. And so our voices are muted. So that for me is an ongoing nightmare. It's not going to change. I'm still going to be legally blind tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I'm still going to like everyone else, have bills and financial responsibilities that need my attention. The essay is called, Andrea, My Disability is My Superpower. What, what do you mean by that? Um, you, you, and and uh, if only employers could see it that way. Why don't they see it that way? Well, um, I guess they have the luxury of not having to, if you will. And the reason I say my disability is my superpower is because I do diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Who better to do said work than a person that represents three of the most marginalized groups in history? I'm female, born female, identify as female. I'm African-American and I'm legally blind, which makes me disabled. So three of the most marginalized groups, I have 33 years of lived experience in being a part of said group. And so my work as a DEI consultant and DEI strategist allows me to not only 
try to ensure that there are policies that are actually equitable for whatever organization this may be with. But I know how it feels to be on the opposite end of that spectrum, not having the proper accommodations, not having a voice, not having the agency. So with said disability, it allows me to do my job um, with more passion, training, and experience for the people that I'm fighting for in the first place. Now, the reason I say if employers would see it that way is because when I apply for a job or interview, I don't always disclose that I have a disability. I know that that on most applications, they allow you the option to select prefer not to say, but even when I do say it, this information is allegedly not shared with said interview panel and so I'll just give you an example that I talked about in the essay. Um, I was not selected for a role because I didn't give proper eye contact. Well, what they did not know is I'm legally blind. So giving proper eye contact is kind of impossible or hard to do depending on the setting. But they didn't know that. And I didn't get the job. Had I made that information known, I may have still not gotten the job because of discriminatory practices. Again, I know it's illegal, but I also know it happens. Andrea, you write in the book about company policies. You touched on these earlier. Um, you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, Annabelle's in Los Angeles. Do you think, I'm guessing a lot of the companies you apply to are in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa or Birmingham. Not necessarily. Think, no? No, um, it's because of the, the need or the work remote environment that we are in now i apply to jobs all over the place but do you think there's more or less toleration around america or is it the same with all these companies because they all they all talk a good game we could get company representatives on this show and they'll say well we, we don't discriminate and we'd like to hire someone like andrea why do they say one thing and behave in a different way because it's great press to say we hire X amount of people with disabilities. We have X amount of people of color. We have X amount of women representation. It's great PR. It's bad PR when they say, but their pay is not equal. But we have we don't have any of these people in leadership, but we don't have any of these people sitting at the decision-making tables. Um, so like you said, I think it's talk. They do talk a great game. Of course, I can't speak for it every single company there is. I recently read that Salesforce is the number one place to work with people with disabilities. I've never worked at Salesforce. I worked in academia. I've worked in a nonprofit setting. I've worked in corporate America. And I can definitely say that across the board, there's work to be done. Yeah, we'll have to get Mark Benioff on the show. He runs Salesforce. He, won't, he can give you a job. Um, <laughs> We are talking with Andrea Dobbins-Wagner, who has a very, uh, a, a very memorable piece in, uh, in a new collection of essays about inequality and injustice in America, going for broke, living on the edge in the world's richest country. Um, Andrea, this idea of living on the edge, it's a, a metaphor, of course, but do you think that you are quite literally in your own way, you and your family. Are you living on the edge? I would say in most instances, yes. I know that 
doing this work and speaking openly about it is probably not favorable with some. They may think I should just be quiet and accept any job I get or just accept social security and call it a day and accept the cards that I was dealt. But I, like I said in this essay, I didn't accept that narrative and will never. So some may deem me a little overly ambitious. So I would definitely say we live on the edge around here. But living on the edge also means living from day to day in the world's richest country. When you see the manifestations of wealth in this country, enormous amounts of wealth, uh, maybe not personally associated with you, but through media, does, does that make you feel more or less that you're living in this nightmare? It, it's more apparent that I have yet to attain a fourth of what I would say my worth is, um, financially speaking. I'm well aware of the affluence that this country has, but I'm also just as aware, if not more aware, of the poverty-stricken, the completely opposite end of the spectrum, Americans that are just trying to make it. Inflation is whooping my behind, and I have no, no issue saying that um, because it needs to be known. Andrew, some people will be watching or listening to this and thinking, well, it's it's in a way a heartbreaking story. But on the other hand, she's legally blind and she's looking for work at companies, perhaps in uh, a, an area where she's simply not suited. Uh, could they have an argument? I would say no. If I am looking for work more so in advocacy or social impact, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm a member of said community that these organizations claim they want to help. That's asinine. Um, I'm also not applying to jobs I know I have no business applying for. Like I would never apply for a job with LDOT, which is the Alabama Department of Transportation. I can't drive. So that's not exactly my wheelhouse. And I know it's more than driving jobs. But I said that to say I'm applying for jobs that I am academically and professionally have the acumen to do. I just haven't quite had the opportunity to show that. How many jobs have you had? When, when did you graduate college? I graduated undergrad in 2013, but I was in graduate school the first time for my master's between 13 and 15. Um, in 2016, I started teaching high school English, and I did that until 2020. Um, I taught high school English. I taught middle school history. I taught, yeah, high school English, middle school history. And I've served as an adjunct professor teaching women's studies, American studies, African-American studies, and a intro to academic success, which is essentially a study skills course. So it's perfectly fine doing um, that work in the classroom, but in full transparency, my vision started declining. And for best practices for classroom management, I need to be able to have eyes on all my students, both literally and figuratively. And so I decided that stepping out of the classroom might be the best move for my safety. Now, it's a little different collegiately speaking, which is why I enrolled in 
a doctoral program because I am interested on teaching on the collegiate level as a professor. Adjuncting is cool, pays the bills, it's fun, but there is no leveraging my career with just a master's if if being a professor is one of the end goals. And I say one because there are more. So you decided that you couldn't teach because of your physical disability or your worsening physical disability. Is yes. that right? Yes. But, but what about being a professor? You need a doctorate to do that. And so I'm working on a doctorate. In terms of looking for solutions here, you mentioned earlier, some people said, we well, just go on social security. The government will look after you. Does government have a responsibility here or are you leaving it purely to employees, to the private sector? That's an interesting question. However, I'd say that I do think America should be more invested with the plight of people with disabilities, but you can replace people with disabilities with veterans, with the unhoused population, with people of color, with women. It's a never ending saga of who needs support. And while I wish that employers and private sectors and nonprofits would step in and help with some of the heavy lifting. I also know that some of this, or the bulk of this is always going to fall on me. I, I don't expect anything from either entity. What do you think? I, I, I know you, you're not professionally associated, although the Economic Hardship Reporting Project sponsored the publication of, of Going for Broke. What do you think of the work of the Economic Hardship Reporting Project and of journalists like Barbara Ehrenreich, who unfortunately died last year, but was the founder with her reporting in books like Nickel and Dimed on the Other America. I think that the Economic Hardship Reporting Project is an amazing nonprofit that doesn't get its flowers or due diligence. They support storytellers like me, not just financially, but emotionally through this process. This isn't an easy story to talk about. While I do speak about it more openly, I didn't even start telling said story until about five years ago. And the Economic Hardship Reporting Project sheds light on these stories that'll never get, that'll never get told. You won't see these like plastered on a billboard or um, in full circulation on news stations internationally. Like, I'm thankful for your podcast, definitely thankful for the work EHRP does. But EHRP, again, doesn't get his flowers that they need. And I'm beyond grateful for them. It's been a joy to work with them and just a personal journey to see that it's not just me. There are other people who are going through similar situations or in that your earlier guest state trying to help. So it gives hope. EHRP provides hope. You describe yourself uh, in the piece um, as a black woman with an invisible disability. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, when most people think of blindness, they think of people with a cane or a C and I dog or someone who needs constant assistance. 
I typically wear contacts, but my allergies are prohibiting that at the moment. But even with glasses on, people wear glasses for fashion statements. And so by that, I mean my disability is invisible. I'm not in a wheelchair. Again, I don't have a white cane. I don't even know how to use one. And I'm not even a dog person. So there is no CNI dog. That's what I mean by that. You wouldn't know I have retinitis pigmentosa unless I told you. And, and describe the illness, the condition that you have. What does that mean? Is it is it degenerative? Does it get worse yes. and worse? Um, retinitis pigmentosa is a rare degenerative eye disease that essentially prohibits or limits your both your peripheral and your central vision. So what I like to tell people to make it more understandable is essentially I have permanent tunnel vision. I imagine that you are looking through a paper towel roll. That's what I see. I can't really see what's on the side of me, which is why I don't drive. I can only see what is directly in front of me. And that is limited itself. I read large print. I don't read Braille. I cannot drive. I think I said that already. Um, lighting is quite interesting at times and it's permanent. There's nothing they can do about it because a lot of people would assume that LASIK would just be the magic fix I need. But unfortunately, there is no cure for retinitis pigmentosa. And I could potentially go fully blind. I haven't thus far, but I could. Well, uh, let's end, uh, Andrea. For people watching who who might be able to employ you or may have ideas, what can you do? What, what You talked about uh, your disability is your superpower. Where do you think you can make a significant contribution and, and, and get out of living on the edge uh, in America, which, uh, at least according to the volume you're in, is the world's richest country. Social impact work, social responsibility, communications, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, content creation. My bachelor's is in communications. My master's is in gender and race studies. And this doctorate will be in social justice and inclusion advocacy. But again, I have 33 years of personal experience being a part of the not so included communities with an S. So I can work. I am willing to work and actually enjoy doing meaningful work in a from a nonprofit to corporate sector. I enjoy it. I love what I do. Just haven't been granted the opportunity to do it permanently yet.